So I was asked about um, how do we work with the more painful sides of our heart and our lives and what the role is for compassion, which is the second heart quality. And, um, um, you know, it's a really important part of our practice and the heart's development is how we learn not just to love, uh, which is a very beautiful thing, uh, but how we, how we relate to the suffering in ourselves and the pain in the world and uh, you know, all, the, all the various ways that we're challenged internally, emotionally, relationally, globally. Uh, what's the place for the heart in all of that? And there is, um, of course, huge need for um, our heart, our courageous hearts, to, to meet the pain and the suffering of the world with openness and with kindness and with tenderness and clarity and care. So I'm going to read you some things this afternoon. This is from Cahill, the poet Cahill Gibran who says, your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Mm. <coughs> your pain is the breaking of the shell. So Rumi puts it another way. He writes, Pay homage to everything that has helped you enter my... This is a uh, backtrack. If God said, Rumi, pay homage to everything that has helped you enter my arms, there would not be one experience of my life, not one thought, not one feeling, nor any act that I would not bow to. Pay homage to everything that has helped you enter my arms, that's helped you to enter the open into the divine, to the sacred, to the mystery, to awakening. There would not be one experience, not one thought, not one feeling, not one action that we would not bow to, which means we would not honor for everything in our lives, especially the difficult stuff, it seems, sad to say. Um, if we can relate to it with openness and curiosity and kindness rather than contraction and fear and blame and judgment and resistance, which is our normal response, then it usually helps us to really deeply grow, <coughs> to open, to, to it forces the heart to, to be more encompassing. You know? As painful and difficult as it is and that we wouldn't wish on anybody, it does, uh, it just stretches us. It's just that this is the way things are, you know. And nobody gets through this life, you know, without loss, without pain, without sorrow, without disappointment, without regret, without, you know, just, there's this litany of things that are just hard in this life. And the Buddha said there is suffering in this life. He was very honest. He's like, yeah, there is. There is unsatisfactoriness and there is unreliability and there is impermanence and change and aging and sickness. They're, they're, these are really hard things. And there was loss and there was sorrow. And I went to this beautiful talk by a friend of mine, Roger Houston, who's 
written a series of poetry books called Ten Poems to Save Your Life, Ten Poems to Set You Free, Ten Poems to Open Your Heart. And his last book, because it's the last book in the series, is Ten Poems to Say Goodbye. You know, it's very, just, the, just the title, it's like, you just, it's very touching, right? Yeah, Ten Poems to Say Goodbye. And there's beautiful poems, and now I'll read one of them from Ellen Bass about, about that. And, um, and it was just beautiful to, to listen to him and some very wise things he said. And one of the things he said was, if there are no goodbyes, then there are no hellos. The, the, the really fully saying goodbye makes us open for the next hello, right? And we're always saying goodbye, right? We've just said goodbye to the morning, right? We said goodbye to, to sleep, to the rain, to our meditation, right? And then, when, then we're ready, if, we, if we've let go, not holding on to the past, which is what we normally do, then we're open to the next hello, which is, oh, it's the afternoon. <laughs> oh, it's the next talk, it's the next meditation, it's the next experience, it's the next feeling. Yeah? And so our life is a series of goodbyes and hellos, goodbyes and hellos. And of course we prefer, usually, the hellos. You know, <laughs> he said, he was talking, he met someone in the street and they asked him what his new book was and, and he said, oh, it's Ten Poems to Say Goodbye. And she was like, what's up with that? <laughs> I want the Ten Poems to Say Hello. <laughs> You know, so we're a culture that, that isn't really into goodbye. You know, we, we hide death and, and pain and all of that stuff. And so we're not so good at it. To, uh, to meeting the difficult. Just as an aside, I understand that the word goodbye means, is from the root, may God be with you, may the divine, may the sacred be with you. So just like namaste is I greet the divine in you, goodbye is may the divine go with you. Isn't that beautiful? When you say goodbye to somebody, it's like, oh, you may the sacred bless you, may the sacred light your path. You know? So... This is a cartoon from the New Yorker, and there's a there's a mom and a, and and her son on the bed, and she's tucking him into bed, and he's obviously asked something like, "Mom, do you like love me forever, or do you love me, you know, always, even if I'm bad?" And she says, "Heavens, no, sweetie, my love for you has tons of conditions." <laughs> So, and that's, you know, usually the truth. We are, you know, in, in the human life, we are, we are subject, we are all wonderfully imperfect, and we have all been subject to wonderfully imperfect love. We've all been loved in so many different ways, and of course it's always, you know, imperfect. You can get seen properly or met in a certain way, or held, or listened to, you know, all the different ways we talked to our therapist about that was imperfect. Um, and, of course, that I'd say that with a smile, but it also comes with a lot of pain, um, both past and present. And these practices so much, um, again, the, the, the root of these practices is, is, I think, in the relationship to ourselves. Um, 
So, not to say that, uh, often, for many, it's easier to be kind and compassionate to others, to be caring to loved ones, to be kind to friends um, who are in distress or suffering. And, uh, And yet, that may be quite difficult for us to be to have that attitude towards ourselves. So, although I say these practices spring from our relationship to ourselves, I don't actually think that's fully true, because we can have really beautifully developed hearts that are really giving and serving to others, but, we, but for whatever reason it's closed and shut down and reactive to ourselves. And so, the way I think about it now is it's more when, when we can fully be kind and compassionate with ourselves and our own suffering, then that completes and fleshes out and creates more fullness in our compassion and kindness with others. So it's not an either-or thing, it's just as we develop our own uh, capacity for self-compassion, self-kindness, and there's been uh, two really good books written recently, written recently um, by psychologists. I was planning to write one myself, I still might, on self-compassion. Um, I think it's, it's integral that we learn how to do that because um, we are the ones we live with. <laughs> we are the ones we hang out with. We are the ones we go to bed with. We are the ones we wake up with. And so our primary relationship is with ourself. No matter how big your family is or your, how wide your social network is or how intimate your relationship is, our primary relationship is with ourselves. And so that's where the practice needs to really take root. And these teachings are pointing to us to look at that, to say, well, what is, how are you when you're feeling lonely or you're feeling sad or you're feeling bereft or you're feeling forlorn or loss or empty or... You know, all the many different things, abandoned, uh, uh, or we've, 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 we've made some horrible mistake, and so we're, you know, feeling the loss of that, but not just the loss of that, but we're judging ourselves, we're berating ourselves, we're regretting. So normally when we experience pain, let me know if this is true for you. Normally when we experience pain, we may feel it a little bit, but mostly we think about it. We, we reflect on it, we analyze it, we judge it, we figure out how to not make it happen again, we blame somebody. Right? There's many different mental strategies we have for not just feeling, oh, oh that really hurt when that person said that thing it was really shaming and I really feel really, that was like my good friend who said that really shaming thing to me in public, like that's really painful. And normally if that happens we go, how dare they, we get righteously indignant and we tell them and I'm going to do it back to them, you know, all kinds of different scenarios, but rather than just, ow, ow. You know, the first step in compassion practice is ouch, ouch, that hurts. That hurts. And it's, and it's hard for the mind to get out of the way enough to go, ow. You know, whether it's a, a slight in an email 
or, or a rude message, or someone just dismisses you or ignores you, um, uh, or somebody you know forgets to invite you to something that's really important to you. Um, you know, just a myriad ways that we can be dissed and, and hurt and, and, and feel neglected or unwanted or shamed. Um, can the first response be, ouch, ooh, that really hurts when that happened. Oh, that feels really, ooh, like a prick, like a pin, like a dart, like an arrow, like a you know, deflation of a balloon, you know, whatever ways that we feel those things. Because the mind is so quick, because the mind is so well developed to strategize, preempt, prevent, that that's what we, we go into fixing mode. Right, which doesn't do anything except, I mean, it has a place, but it doesn't help resolve the emotional wounding. So the first step is the ouch, and then, oh. And, uh, and to, to, to feel, the, to name the feeling, to feel the feeling, oh, it's like this. Sorrow is like this. Loss is like this. Tenderness and vulnerability is like this. Feeling... Sad is like this. Yeah. And that's also very difficult because you want to think about why am I sad? How come I'm always sad? You know, I shouldn't be so sad. I've done 10 years of therapy, spent all that money. I should be over my sadness by now. I mean, my sister isn't sad. We had the same parents. I mean, what's the deal? You know, and, and then we want to tirade about we're not good enough. And think, you know, my siblings are fine and we're the only, you know, we're the black sheep, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Old stories. <laughs> right? That's where we go. Right? Really tedious stories which is another pain in itself. It's a pain in the ass, that one. (laughs) Um, So there's the ouch, there's the the registering, the acknowledging of the feeling. You know, there's an acronym, ironically, called RAIN, which we teach in mindfulness practice, which seems to be relevant here because it's raining. And so there's, there's the first step is recognition. We have the ouch. It's actually a little different than... Um, so there's the ouch, and then there's a recognition. Oh, what, what just happened? Oh, you, know, you get off the phone, you're like, ooh, I feel really... And then there's recognition. Oh, that, that was really belittling what they were saying about my presentation. It was really undermining in certain way. Oh, ow. And then there's the acceptance. With it. So the next stage is acceptance, the A. Oh, oh, yeah. That sucks. I don't like that, but here it is. And then I is the inquiry. Oh, oh what, what is that? What, what, what does it feel like, this, this belittling, this shaming? Oh, it feels really old. It feels like I feel like I'm five. Or I feel like I'm just worthless because they dismissed my whole thing I did at work. You know? And then the, the N, which is non-identification, which is a little more complicated, which isn't really complicated, but it's it's just it's it's when we when we hold all of that in awareness, um, it allow it, we it's allowed to be let go. We're not holding onto it. We're not holding a grudge. We're not planning our revenge. It's just oh, yeah, that too. And and there's some ease in not not holding onto it. So recognizing, so ouch, recognizing, accepting, inquiring, and non-identification or, or letting go. Is that helpful? Mm-hmm. It's, very help- it's a very helpful mindfulness tool. Yeah. Particularly the A. 
well, the R and the A, but particularly the A, because we're so, we so want to get rid of it. And it's so hard just to go, oh, I'm, I'm at home and I've got nothing planned this weekend, and I just feel really lonely. Oh, it kind of sucks. Loneliness is like this. You know? Maybe you just had a great night out with friends and you come back home, I still feel lonely. Ow, oh, that's really painful. Oh. And rather than going to the fridge or to a beer or to the TV, it says, no, sit with the loneliness. Oh. Maybe I cannot abandon myself and, and, and be, give myself some company with my kind attention. The true non-abandonment is when we can hold ourselves and, and our distress and not abandon ourselves. Most of our abandonment comes from ourselves because we can't, we can't tolerate the feelings. So we check out. And then we demand that our partner do that for us. <laughs> I need you to be, I need you to... <laughs> you don't listen to me, you're not there for me, you don't give me enough attention. Oh, what if I gave that to myself? Oh. So I stop demanding that they do that, because, and then I give that to myself. So these are ways, in a way, th this is like a, a, a way to be compassionate, an, exp an orientation. This is, like, this is a compassionate activity. So compassion is a feeling, but it's, in, in this context it's also a verb. It's a movement of the heart to want to relieve suffering. And what I'm being describing is an inner movement, a very subtle movement of, again, back to the attitude. It's an attitude of heart that orients towards, it leans into the suffering. So compassion is very fearless and courageous in it, that it leans into the distress. It goes, oh, ow, oh, I feel you, I, I can sense you, I can touch this, and it's painful. But I'm here, and because I'm here and I'm present, I'm not, and I'm aware, I'm not drowning in it. I'm, not, I'm, I'm bigger than the pain. Awareness can always has the capacity to be bigger than that which it knows. There's the known and that which knows. And that which knows can hold anything. The biggest trauma, the deepest suffering, existential angst, near-death experience, awareness holds it all. That's the refuge. And when we infuse that awareness with kindness, with compassion, with love, it's a very profound presence. It's courageous, it's, it's powerful. Um, it's beautiful. It's soft, but it's strong. This is a poem that I wrote last year, and it sort of relates, it does relate. It's called Your Only Duty. Your only duty is not to run from here, from this. Even if the hole of loss burns deep in your belly, and on waking you feel the dread of walking into the day, stripped bare, feeling the wind pierce those empty places within. You can always pretend, try putting on a face other than your own, but that's a game that's never worked, 
and only burns a deeper hole inside the pocket of longing and makes the shell you've chosen to live in even more hollow. But there are times when there's no choice but to pick up where you left off, to sit quietly in the garden of your creation, to turn towards where you are, and touched, and when you touch the starved infants inside that you've spent a lifetime running from, with delicate hands of love, the way the evening fog envelops the solitary tree, without flinching, pressing into and loving every gnarled crevice, every twisted branch, even the forgotten needles fallen to the ground. This is the first step that begins the slow journey of completeness, keeps inviting you deeper into the roots of yourself, claiming your place that has always been waiting right here. So that's the practice of compassion, really, mindful compassion. As we turn towards, we lean into the difficult, whether it's in ourselves, whether it's in, with another, with that spirit, that curiosity, that, oh, how are you? How is it to be where you are? So in terms of the practice, uh, the phrases that I sort of mentioned this morning, the, the fr- in the context of this pr- the practice, um, the phrases that express the heart of compassion, uh, may you be free of pain and suffering. May you be free of pain and suffering. May you hold whatever you're going through, this distress, with ease, with kindness. So um, we'll do a version of the metta practice where we include people who are going through difficulty. And it may be in, when we do that that you uh, shift the phrase to, rather may you be happy, may you hold your suffering with ease, may you be free of pain. So we're inviting the difficulty in, in a way. We're inviting this person who's going through distress in and saying, I see you, I feel you, and I wish that you be free of pain. But it's the first step, just like the first step is the ouch, it's the same with another person. The first step is to receive where they are. I see you. I see that you're in pain. That could be your first compassion phrase. I see that you're suffering. May you be free of pain and suffering. Because normally what happens, you know, Friend calls us up, we meet somebody, um, and they're in distress, they're having a difficulty, whatever. And what happens? Usually we go into fixing mode. Oh, yeah, we either go into autobiography. Oh, yeah, that happened to me. Let me tell you when. And they're like, oh, let me tell you when that happened to me. (laughs) That's much more interesting. (laughs) Or we go into, oh, yeah, I, I went through that. You know, this is what you should do, right? Worst thing to say to somebody <laughs> if they haven't asked for it. Because we're not meeting them, right? The first, the, mostly what we want to be as human beings, we need to be met. We want to be met. We want to be seen and met and heard. Right? So the first thing, oh, wow, that sounds really hard. 
Oh, tell me more. What's, what's, how's that, how is that for you? God, it sounds really difficult. Okay, so we're just acknowledging where they are. That's mostly what we need to do. It's mostly what people need. It's just to be heard, attended to. You know, we do, we don't, they don't need our fix-it <laughs> strategies. We can help them come up with their own. That's great, but they don't need ours unless they ask, and then, sure, it's fair game. But um, so, so in the practice, we're inviting, so when we, when we invite this person in, we're really sensing, feeling their difficulty. So the reason these practices are taught, and we don't have time to do all four today, is, is there a set. There's, there's, there's love, there's compassion, there's appreciative joy, and there's equanimity. So, because this kind of, in a way, describes the range of the heart. It can feel loving, it can turn towards sorrow and be kind, it can turn towards joy and be celebratory. And in the root of all three of these is this quality of equanimity. The quality of equanimity is a profound balance and acceptance that knows, that accepts reality as it is, that doesn't try to fight or struggle or complain or blame. It's just, oh, this is how it is. So, so with compassion, we don't get so overwhelmed because we, we're grounded in equanimity. It's like, oh, this is how it is. You're feeling sad and lonely, and this is how it is in this moment. It couldn't be any other way because this, this is how it is. Oh, yeah, I see that. You know, just like the atrocious wars in Iraq and Kuwait and Afghanistan. In this moment, they are as they are. That's his equanimity, is accepting the truth of that. We may want to do something about it, but first we have to accept this is what we do as human beings. We, we, we exploit and oppress each other. And it's tragic. So lots more to be said about compassion, but I think I want to keep it close to the practice. So I'm aware that the energy feels a little... So this is what happens. I, I give this talk in the afternoon, and I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Suffering, suffering. <laughs> Can I go home now, please? <laughs> It's so funny for me because compassion is such a beautiful quality and I, and I, I, I really delight in feeling it because it's so tender, it's so sensitive, so vulnerable. Um, and it's very, I find it very strong. It's a really strong quality because it has no edges. So whether it's suffering in myself, which I've had to work with a lot over the last 30 years, or suffering in another, there's not like a sticking place. So it's just, it can just hold whatever's there. You know, and, and, you know, and when, when we develop this quality, it's, it's tremendously uh, powerful, you know, because we get fearless. We get, the, the deeper we go into our own pain, and we all have plenty of it, and if we go to the very depths of it, then there's nothing that scares us, like nothing. And so it's, there's a fearlessness and a courage that comes, as well as it being this very soft, open-hearted quality. It's a wonderful service to humanity. So um, what I'm thinking of doing, since I sense the energy a little soft and <laughs> it's like the, like, the, like the soil is getting all <laughs> melted with the rain, 
I think well, I'm going to suggest we do a walking, a modified uh, walking practice. So I need uh, sh- sh- I need the volunteers and Sean to help with this. So um, any volunteers, if you can stand up for a moment and go to the back and move the, the tables to the back walls and then uh, just put them flush. And then anybody who has cushions around the back of the hall, if you can push those to the back, to the back, to the walls. And um, so lift up the zabatons and the cushions because we need, we need more space than there is. And then um, uh, I'm going to ask you all to stand. And uh, if you have any liquid thing that will spill on the floor, please pick it up and put it on the ledges because I'm going to move some of the chairs. So any cup thing, not your bottles that are closed are fine, but anything that will spill. And then I'm going to ask you to just, if people around the back of the chairs can just push the chairs towards me. You know, you just kind of crunch, just starting at the back, just sort of push them. Huh? Oh no! Just just a couple. The first, the last, the last couple of rows. Not not the whole, not the whole rows. Just okay. Just kind of push them in. So there's just a little more room. It's it's cozy, so it doesn't matter too much. It's and uh, may, maybe the, a few folks can just can just push the cushions back to the chairs. Just there's a teeny bit of room here to walk. Great, thank you for your cooperation. Maybe leave a little room down this aisle here. Push the chairs in a little bit or something. Whatever we're... Just a teeny, just a teeny aisle, just, 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 yeah. So, um, this is nice to do outside, but since it's raining and it's nice to do in the rain too, but you won't hear me with all your rain gear on. So, um, so we're going to do a walking, we're going to do a, what's called a milling, where you mill around, you walk around like you're in, you know, Union Square or something, except you're not shopping, you're just walking. And uh, I'll just guide, it will be a moving, guiding, moving, walking, and we might stop occasionally and do something. And, uh, so just start walking around, just in your own time. Alina. Alina.